Christians have always needed to help one another, and now more than ever. In Stephen McElpain's recent book, Being the Bad Guys, he writes, Have you noticed that recently Christian views aren't seen as merely false, but dangerous? Are opinions no longer worth considering, but rather in need of silencing? Joe Dallas, in his book, Christians in a Council Culture, states, You've based your understanding on today's sensitive social issues on the Bible's truth. Mainstream culture not only sees these issues differently, but calls you bigoted for rejecting views they've deemed self-evident. So how do you witness Christ's love to those ready to write you off as hateful? Many will send out the SOS in distress. But 1 Thessalonians 3, 1 through 5, Paul tells of sending help. Sending help. There was no SOS. He was, he was worried about his fellow Christians who were in the midst of persecution. And so he initiates help because he cared. We're going to see today this is how we should operate too. This is how we are to operate. We're in this beautiful letter of 1 Thessalonians. And it is about the beloved of God becoming beloved to one another as they wait for the return of Christ. This is what God does that he... He brings us into his body, we, we come to know and love one another. As we are living through life, we're also anticipating Christ's return. We're part of a beloved church that is changed by the gospel and connected in relationships and then committed to ministry that pleases God, ministry that is marked by a courage to preach the gospel and pure motives to please God and selfless service to others. Paul and his friends had described their ministry and said, we were like a mother caring for her children. We were like a father teaching his children. They were modeling maturity. They were living godly lives. They were giving godly help. You'll notice that in chapter 2, he says, we exhorted you. We encouraged you. We charged you. They were doing godly discipleship. They were determined to declare every truth that was necessary and deliver what was needed they they did correction they did comfort they gave counsel and the word we saw is at work in those who believe not just back then but now the word is at work in those who welcome it and i hope in your life that you're putting the welcome mat out for the word of god in your life on a daily basis because the word is at work but here's the thing, what was going on there is similar to what is going on now. This is not a perfect situation where the, the word of God comes into a life that is just problem-free. The situation, not unlike us, is that this church of believers, and at that moment in time it was a church filled with all young believers. They were in crisis because they were under persecution. And they were tempted to go back to their idolatrous pagan ways. Like, you know, we don't know if this is going to work out. We don't know if it's worth it to follow Christ. And what you'll notice is it isn't solely about just giving the word. You know, delivery is crucial, but as we've already seen, there's a heavy relational component. That your heart is involved and it costs you something. Paul said this. He said, we were well pleased. This is chapter 2, verse 8. We were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel, but our very lives, because you've become very dear to us. You have become beloved in our lives. So we were giving you our lives, not just the word of God. And now they're physically separated and 
the matter of their actual spiritual condition became paramount to Paul. And he wasn't able to go, and so he sends a sympathetic helper, Timothy. We've noticed, and we saw this last week, that Christians joined at the heart, love one another intensely, and they esteem one another highly such that we, we treat one another well. And when that's put into action, you, you get down to the nitty-gritty of what it really means to give help to fellow Christians. It, it means that it costs you something. It's going to cost something for all of us to do that. The idea is that the beloved willingly sacrifice and suffer. The beloved willingly sacrifice and suffer. They're willing to sacrifice for and suffer with their family in Christ. That love compels you to help other believers. Specifically, and this is what this passage will show us, that you must be willing to sacrifice your plans and sacrifice your comfort and then suffer together with your beloved family in Christ. And you must be willing to do so, just as Paul was. The first thing we see, and if you put your eyes on verse 1, you'll notice he sacrificed his plans for the Thessalonians. He had one thing going, and he didn't say, well, this is more important, so I'm going to keep doing this. You guys are going to be all right on your own. He basically said, look, we could bear it no longer. It starts, verse 1, therefore, on account of the very fervent, unmet desire that they had to see these believers face to face. He says, we could bear it no longer. We couldn't endure it any longer. This, they're not concealing the feelings. They're freely sharing transparently. We were unable to continue not knowing how you're really doing. We had to do something. And so he says, we were willing they thought it best, they made a decision after deliberation, they thought it best to be left alone at Athens. They were determined to do this. They considered it a good thing to be left alone at Athens. Literally, he says, we were willing to be forsaken. Athens is the place where Paul was preaching in a city full of idols, and some people were mocking, and some people believed, but it was a crazy pagan place. And he needed Timothy by his side as a co-worker in the gospel. And he says that we were willing to be left alone. Left without his cherished co-worker in a city choked by pagan philosophy and animosity to Christ. And so Acts 17 even tells us about it. He was preaching there. He's looking around. He sees the city full of idols. He starts preaching the gospel. And some believe, some mock. And it's, it's a big deal. There's some, there's, some, there's some heavy stuff coming upon them in terms of persecution. And he lets himself be interrupted. He lets his plans. He says, no, you're more important than me. I don't know about you, but none of us like interruptions. Some of you feel like, you know, your whole day is a continuous interruption. There was a study done once where they studied school principals. And they found out that school principals... Uh, deal with interruptions about a third of the time, like 25 to 28 interruptions a day. Some of you are like, that would be awesome to only have that many. And they were, they were interrupted all the time. And, and here's the thing, we need to let ourselves be interrupted by God's plans. We need to actually initiate an interruption of our plans to go help another Christian. 
and not think that what we have going on is so important that we can't drop that or send someone or do something to help them. Paul sacrificed his plans for the Thessalonians, and you and I must be willing to sacrifice our plans for others. And it wasn't just his plans, it was his comfort. In verse 2, he says, we sent Timothy, and he gives a little rundown of who Timothy is, our brother, fellow brother in Christ, and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ. Their co-worker, but he's working together with God to get the gospel out, and he sacrifices his comfort for the Thessalonians. He acts on their behalf, so they would, he would encourage their growth. He's willing to do without his gospel partner in this city permeated with pagan people angry over the gospel. And Silas and Timothy and Paul had, had been in Athens together. They had come to Paul in Athens. Then they were sent out to other Macedonian cities, those who needed help. Timothy of Thessalonica in this case. Silas elsewhere, probably at the same time. And in case you think that Paul was like, they're gone for a while, now I, get to, now I get a break, he was in horrible loneliness until they returned. He says it in Acts 18. Yet he was willing to sacrifice his comfort to set aside his plans for their benefit. This is life in the body of Christ. This is where the rubber meets the road. He was willing to endure it for the good of the Thessalonians. And he sent Timothy for a purpose. Verse 2 tells us why he went to establish and exhort you in your faith. That's why he was sent. To establish means to strengthen something that's already there. It means to make something more firm, to establish something in the place it is, not something new, not building something new, but literally bracing up what is there. I get the picture of a retaining wall, making a retaining wall where basically it's like, um, we're going to shore this up so it it doesn't cave in. With the idea of... of, uh, building up a, a, a sagging foundation so it won't, it won't completely uh, fall apart. Shoring them up, becoming the retaining wall for them so that they would remain steadfast in Christ, so that they wouldn't give up. And this is not a one-off. This is not, well, wow, this is the only time we ever saw Paul do this. He did this as a pattern. He did this as the norm You see in Acts 14, Paul and Barnabas return to Lystra and Iconium and Antioch. And what are they doing? The very same thing that Timothy was sent to do. Strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. And saying this, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of God. He was sent in this instance just like Paul kept doing over and over again, to check on their faith. To check on their faith. He says, it's about your faith. What you believe and the outflow, your thoughts and words and actions and interactions in your home and in the the house of God and in the community and to the ends of the earth and, and all the reverberations that are felt. It's about your faith, that that they would shore up your faith, that they would be the retaining wall in your life so that you don't collapse. What a gift to have someone that would send and take such initiative for your good, for your faith. We know that not all have faith. 
we know that the word of God is not always united by faith in those who hear it. Some go away and are not converted to Christ. Some are not regenerate. Some are not alive spiritually. But if you have faith, that faith is going to be strengthened and established in Christ. And God is going to use fellow believers who care for you and love you with their Bibles and with prayer and with interaction and help you process the tough things you go through in life. This is what God does in his church. Do you have faith, by the way? Do you have faith? This is not a hard question. It's either yes or no. And not, this is not faith in a vacuum. You know, I'm spiritual. This is, I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and I have trusted my entire soul upon him. This is, do you have faith? Do you trust Christ crucified and risen and coming again? Do you trust that, that Jesus died at the cross and shed his blood in your place as your substitute and he was buried and he rose on the third day and he's coming back with blessing for those who believe and judgment for those who refuse to believe in him? Do you have faith? Paul sent people to check on the Thessalonians' faith. George Mueller said, it is true that the faith which I am able to exercise is God's own gift. He alone supports it, and he alone can increase it. Moment by moment, I depend on him. And if I were left to myself, my faith would utterly fail. But in Christ, we are not left to ourselves. Christ lives in you, believer. And you are in the body of Christ. And you be in a church that prays dependently and preaches the word of God accurately and people interact with each other. Paul sacrificed his, his plans and his comfort for the Thessalonians. You and I must be willing to do the same to sacrifice our plans and comfort for others' good, that we would send godly help for godly needs. That He says, we thought it best. It was a wise decision. We sent Timothy to shore you up, to be the retaining wall, to strengthen you just like that retaining wall and encourage you in your faith so you wouldn't collapse. Some of you feel like you're on the point of collapse. You're on the verge of destruction. And Paul, and this is what I would say to you, just like Paul said to them, I don't want you to be unsettled. If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus, don't be unsettled. Cling to Christ. Give up and, and give up your comfort to fix on, on Christ and, and, and fix someone else's faith on Christ. He's our comfort. John Owen, in the glory of Christ, wrote this. One view of Christ's glory by faith will scatter all the fears answer all the objections, and disperse all the depressions of poor, tempted, doubting souls. To all believers, it is an anchor which they may cast within the veil to hold them firm and steadfast in all trials, storms, and temptations, both in life and in death. Here's Timothy, a spiritual brother in the truest sense. And Paul 
sending him to demonstrate his genuine concern for the church. Willing to be bereft of his beloved brother to benefit and bless other beloved brethren. You need to sacrifice your comfort and your plans for others' benefit to encourage their faith, to be the retaining wall in their life, pointing them to Christ and pointing them to Scripture. Paul told the Ephesian elders in Acts 20, he said, Now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all those who are being sanctified. This is how it is for every believer. The word shores you up, and Christ is with you, and you need fellow believers to remind you. And you need to remind each other. We need to remind each other that our life is about preaching the gospel in our own hearts and homes and amongst the church, and it's praying dependently, and it's working with people. Preaching and prayer and, and people. One noted Christian leader said this, Preaching the Bible establishes the authority of God over the mind and the soul. God alone reigns over our thoughts and our actions. And then said this, make sure that Satan has to climb over lots of scripture to get to you. As we've seen very clearly, the word of God is not a condiment or an accessory it is the foundation, and you have to put the welcome mat out for it and bring it into your life, and by God's strength and for his glory, seek to do what it says. And the word does its work in us who believe. As God has, it, has his way in our hearts, as we yield to him. Now, there might be someone you haven't seen for a while fellow believer why don't you call them reach out to them go knock on their door see i want to make sure that you're all right in christ i want to make sure that you're continuing on i want to make sure that you're not falling by the wayside I, what what if what if no one's checking on them what, what if they fell by the wayside in their faith this is Paul's godly concern for the family. This must be our godly concern for our family in Christ in this church. There are people that are struggling with anxiety. There are people that are struggling with depression. There are people that, that need stability. They need the truth. They need the generosity of fellow Christians who will come along and say, how are you doing? I haven't seen you. I haven't heard from you. Are you all right? I couldn't stand it any longer not knowing how you're doing. You might not feel it. You might not believe it. But there are people in this church who care about your spiritual health. They're concerned about how you're doing. Paul sacrifices plans. We need to be willing to sacrifice our plans for others' spiritual growth. We need to do like Paul and sacrifice our comfort, be willing to sacrifice for others. And I realize there's some of you that might say, well, you know, let me just be honest. I don't want to. What if, what if you don't want to? I would just pray that God would work in your heart even through this sermon that he would make you wanting to. But if you don't want to, you say, well, I have my own needs. I need everyone to come my way and help me. It, it, it happens. We think this way, don't we? 
But soon enough, you'll know why, why you should, because you suffer as well as every other Christian, and you need fellow believers with you to help you go through those times. In fact, this is what Paul does in verses three through five, just, just washes over us with this care that Paul suffered together with the Thessalonians, and he couldn't even get there. He sent Timothy like his drone and t- sent him there with his heart. Paul suffered together with the Thessalonians. He suffered together for God's glory. It was telling them, prep for persecution. I told you the truth. He says in verse 3, I don't want anyone to be moved or, or unsettled or disturbed by these afflictions. I don't want you to fall away. Interesting, that word moved, it, it's, it speaks of a dog wagging his tail. And it's the idea of just getting like distracted by that, or fascinated, like drawn aside from the right path and deceived, shaken, disturbed, where you would give up your belief, where you would turn away from your beliefs, that the pressure would get to you and, and you'd think, no, I don't think God is good. I don't think he's faithful. I don't think the Christian life is worth living. For them in, in, Thess- in the Thessalonica, in, in Thessalonica they, they had enemies of Christ that were sowing seeds of doubt into their minds about the gospel. And they were slandering the missionaries. They don't really care about you. They're not coming back for you. They're not coming to you at all. They don't care about you at all. You should go back to your former life of, of tried and true idolatry. Paul did not want him, them to be shaken. Pulled off the path, caving in. Dr. David Jeremiah, in his book, Where Do We Go From Here?, says, perhaps little is more heartbreaking and discouraging in the, Christ, in the Christian's life than to watch someone fall away and abandon the faith. From our friends and family to prominent pastors and authors, more and more professed believers seem to be losing their first love, changing their minds, and following after the idols of self-reliance, fame, and money. Afflictions and tribulations abound for the Christian. The Sithis test of your faith. And it's what every Christian goes through. Trials are an inevitable part of the Christian life. And Timothy just reinforces this warning in verse 3. He says, you, you know that we are destined for this. Not that it's past and it's not coming back. We are destined for this on an ongoing basis until Jesus returns or calls you home, whichever comes first. You yourselves know. We are destined for this. It's, it's appointed. It's designed. It's not easy. But this is how we're strengthened. It's not accidental. It's the will of God. Everyone who desires to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. And often we think, well, it's some big persecution that's coming at the end of time. No, it's the day-to-day things you go through for identifying yourself as a follower of Christ. We were appointed to this. You, you knew. So you prepped, like you prepped for a hurricane or a tornado. You brace yourself to brave the storm. Your sins are forgiven, but your problems remain. Prepare for the inevitable. He says in verse 4, when we were with you, we kept telling you, like we were a broken record. We kept telling you beforehand. 
we were to suffer affliction just as it's come to pass, just as you know. They're in the middle of it. They're in the middle of the storm, and Paul's saying, I told you. I told you it would be like this. Remember the old weathercaster, Fritz, Fritz Coleman? Fritz said it would be like this. He told you the weather, it was going to be this way. God intends for every Christian to be marked out for trials. The common day-to-day tribulations that come upon followers of Christ just like they did Christ. For every believer, Jesus said in John 15, if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own, but because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you, and if they persecuted me, they will persecute you. In John 16, he said, in the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I've overcome the world. This is the victory that overcomes the world, John says, our faith that is a gift from God. Peter writes, he's no stranger to trials, and he had a front row seat to what Jesus went through, and he says to the beloved believers that were scattered, at that moment they were scattered throughout the known world, and and he says, don't be surprised, beloved, at the fiery ordeal that's going to come upon you for your testing, as though some strange thing were happening, like, whoa, whoa, no one told us about this. This is how it's going to be. James says, consider it utmost joy when you encounter various trials. It is a gift from God. And Paul told the Corinthians that he had been told by God, my grace is sufficient for you, and my power is made perfect in your weakness. What was Paul's response? Okay, then. Okay, then I am going to boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses. I want to complain about mine. And Paul says, I'm going to boast so that the power of Christ would rest on me, and for the sake of Christ, I will be content with weaknesses and insults and hardships and persecutions and calamities, for when I am weak, then I am strong. And he's telling the Thessalonians, we expected that you prepped for the hurricane, that many would cave in, deception would set in, and what you need is a plural protection, layers. Just like in California, when it gets cold, we put three coats on because it's so cold in California. People laugh at us from around the globe. But you need layers of protection from the body of Christ shoring you up, being the retaining wall, helping you not cave in. Christ holds you up through his body, the church. The church's arms are the arms of Christ. Naturalist S.L. Bastian told of a spider that built its nest in small branches of trees. And in this delicate enclosure, baby spiders were hatched. Now, don't, don't worry about what's down on the ground right now. We're just talking spiders. There's nothing down over there trying to get you. But spiders being hatched in those little trees. And if the nest was disturbed... Babies, the babies would just rush out. But the mother, designed by God, the mother was alerted in a very unique way. Each spider had a thin, silky strand attached to it, and the, the threads were attached to the mother. And when threatened, they would scurry off and tug on the lines that were felt by the mother who would pull them back into the nest. 
The body of Christ must be that for us. Mary Slesser was a missionary to Nigeria, and she rescued babies in danger and dying. And sometimes she had dozens of little baby infants in her home, and they were, it was tough to care for them through the night. And so what she did is she tied a little string to each hammock, and she pulled the strings as each little baby needed soothing throughout the night. We need to be like that for our beloved in Christ. Hosea says that we are linked to God with cords of love that cannot be broken. It binds our hearts and hearts to him. And then, then, then you see in the body of Christ, that gets lived out in the church. When Timothy went, Paul couldn't go, Timothy went. I would imagine that Timothy might have had to, to weep with those who were weeping just as we rejoice with those who rejoice. He probably needed to comfort them as he built the retaining wall for their faith, showed them in the word and prayed with them and just consoled them. There was once a little girl who came home late and her mother asked her, where have you been? And she says, a friend fell. My friend fell and broke her special doll. And so I stayed to help her. And the mom says, how did you help? And she says, I sat down and helped her cry. Tears are liquid pain. Spurgeon called them diamonds of heaven. We are to rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. I'm sure that Timothy probably had to comfort them. Maybe God would give you the gift to comfort someone even this week. A lot of people will say, well, if they ask me, I'll help them. Here's, here's my number, here's my card. If you ever need me, just let me know. Not Paul. He went after them. He chased them down. He loved them so much. He says, oh, I'm checking in on you to make sure you're all right. Like he risked them going, hey, what are you doing here? Timothy, why are you here? Paul made me come. I know you're suffering persecution. Every Christian does. I heard about it, and I want to make sure that you're not caving in. I want to make sure you don't buckle under the pressure. I want to guard against apostasy in your life. Guard against falling away, guard against collapse. And so he says in verse 5, for this reason, he repeats it, when I could bear it no longer, when I could bear it no longer, I couldn't stand not knowing, so I sent to learn about your faith for fear that the tempter, Satan, had tempted you somehow and that our labor would be in vain. They were instrumental in them coming to Christ and growing in Christ. And he says, if they fall by the wayside, maybe their labor was for nothing. I was sincerely afraid that the tempter might have tempted you and you'd fallen by the wayside and our efforts would be in vain. They didn't send out an SOS. Paul sent help. The tempter was opposing them and was working to hinder them. And here's Timothy, like Paul's drone, sent with Paul's heart. Paul, in the pain of separation from his beloved, sent his cherished companion to help them. Paul told the Corinthians, I I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts would be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. In Matthew chapter 4, the tempter comes to Jesus. The devil comes to Jesus. He's called the tempter here. And he says, if, if, if you are the son of God, command these stones to be 
come loaves of bread? And Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. The Son of God answered temptation with the word of God. Believer, if you're a believer today, you have Christ and Scripture. Christ in you, your hope of glory, and the word of God that does its work in you who believe. And you're able to do what you do and go through what you go through with fellow believers. You don't do this alone. You shouldn't do this alone. You shouldn't fade away. You shouldn't think that you can go solo. You need the church. The church needs you. Satan tries to kill and steal and destroy. Don't underestimate the enemy. Be prepared. 1 Peter 5, 8 says your adversary, literally your legal adversary, your opponent in a lawsuit, your enemy, the devil, that word devil is where we get our word diabolical. It means the slanderer prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. It's like an animal swallowing their prey whole. Resist him. Stand up. Take your stand against him firm in your faith, knowing, steadfast, knowing that your brethren in the world are experiencing the same kinds of sufferings. And Christ holds you up. And he uses his body, the church. The church's arms are the arms of Christ. You do everything within your power to help your family in Christ. There was a man once that was a beekeeper, and his son came to visit him, and the, the beekeeper was showing him all the honey that he had collected from all these bees, and he opened up this, this big bucket, this five-gallon bucket of honey, and he, he opens it up, and the son sees inside, and he goes, there's three bees on top of the honey that are literally going to drown in honey. And he's like, can we save them? And he's like, nah, they're just going to die. They're, they're too sticky. It's, it's just, it's inevitable. And he goes, oh, come on, let's, let's do something to help these, these bees. And so they scoop the bees, the three bees out, and they're all filled with honey and, you know, all sticky, and they're going to die, and sets them aside, and, and then they start talking about something else. And a little while later, they come back, and they see a whole bunch of bees around these bees getting all the honey off of them, getting all the stickiness off of them, and all of a sudden, one of them flies away and is okay. And then next thing you know, all three are, are cleaned off enough to fly away. And they were helped by friends who wouldn't let them just drown in, in their, their situation. They were helped by friends who wouldn't give up on them. Refused to let them drown in their stickiness and resolved that they would be set free. That we need to be there for each other in the body of Christ. Paul was suffering together with the Thessalonians. You must be willing to suffer together with the church. Sometimes it happens we fall to temptation. All of us do, and sometimes instead of helping, we're tempted to hinder. Maybe through divisions or grudges or lack of love. Maybe to deal in an underhanded way and deceive one another rather than speaking the truth in love to one another. But we are to give godly help for godly needs. Our, our faith is, is somewhat fragile unless God strengthens us and, and we continue on in the faith. So you need to engage with fellow believers. You need to, to help one another and learn to live by the, the Spirit-inspired and 
inerrant and infallible word of God, powerful word of God that comforts you and does its work in you who believe. Because there is a tempter on the loose. Paul said, I, I would most gladly spend and be spent for your souls. You must resolve to sacrifice and suffer with your family in Christ. If this passage of scripture is telling us anything, it's telling us this. Personal contact is necessary. A personal visit with a rather pointed admonition and a powerful resolve to help. You can't get away from being face-to-face. You just can't. I remember back in the late 1990s, um, I, was on, I was a children's pastor at the time, and I was on a panel of children's pastors at some kind of conference, and the question was posed, what's the future of children's ministry? And I was the last one to speak, because I was like, I don't know what to say, and because and, I, I knew what I wanted to say, but it wasn't going to be like all flashy and fun. And all these friends of mine were giving these unique answers and flashy, creative solutions about the future of children's ministry. And I said this. I said, well, here's what I think. Nothing's going to change. It's going to be, the answer will be small groups with personal contact where people with Bibles help other people with their Bible. People with Bibles who handle the Bible accurately helping other people, people who care about people. Like there's no easy way. You can't like automate this. There's no easy button for life in the body of Christ. It's face-to-face in the trenches. Dale Carnegie said, you make more friends in two months by being interested in others than you can in two years trying to get others interested in you. Ralph Waldo Emerson said, the only way to have a friend is to be one. You have to be connected relationally. And you can do so by sending help, going yourself even. You follow up on how Christians are faring, how they're doing, how's your, how's your fellow Christians doing. Check in often. I was concerned about you. I was worried about you. I needed to check in and make sure you're all right. Some of you are the type of people that always initiate, and you might go, well, you know, I don't really need someone else to check in on me. Graciously receive it when it comes. You might be the, the person who's always the receiver, and you're like, well, I'm not hearing from anyone. And you will be tempted to feel left out and abandoned. I would just say, be the one who initiates the help for somebody else. Forget about yourself and just give for someone else. In in such moments, reach out and encourage someone else's faith. I mean, what if everyone in the church thought about everybody else and checked in on everybody else? No one would be left out. No one would be missed. Everyone would be, would be ministered to in a significant way as the beloved willingly sacrifice and suffer together because that is when you and I are most helpful, by the way. When, when we sacrifice our plans, when we sacrifice our comfort and suffer together and, and sending the help it necessitates a somewhat unburdened, healthy soul that is free to serve, but none of us are perfectly you know, in the best spot ever in our life. You just have to do it. And, and I'm, let me say this to you too. If no one reaches out to you, you have comfort in Christ, which can spur you on to comfort others and help others. 
I mean, you're on a, if you're a Christian, you're on a winding path to heaven and you're in a sinful world with a sinful heart and you've hidden God's word in your heart and the word is at work in your heart and, and God keeps tenderizing your heart and, and you want to be a, a help to fellow Christians and you're asking the right questions. Am I truly saved? Yes. Do I want to please Christ? Yes. Am I often miserable in my sin but I am seeking forgiveness in Christ? Yes. Do I want what God wants more than what I want? Yes. The battle's raging, but don't despair. Some of you are going to be tempted to despair. You might say, well, the temptation is winning. I, I'm losing, and, and my will is weary. At that moment, continue on in Christ. You are, if you're a Christian, you are being sanctified. Some of you might think, but it's one step forward and ten step backs, like, back, like every day. I, I don't even recognize any growth. Remember this, Jesus is the shepherd of your soul. By his spirit, through his word, he is doing a work in your heart, accomplishing your tender, yearning, burdened heart. Just cling to him. Cling to him dependently. He is outworking you to will and do his good pleasure. He will make you stand in the presence of his glory with great joy. You've got to remember this. Christ's love lasts. It lasts. God is love. He has he has displayed that love to the world by sending his beloved son to atone for our sin. By sending the son for our salvation, we see more how, how beautiful and how gracious and how generous and how sacrificial God's love for us is. That God crafted a plan before time began to give up the comforts of heaven so we might be helped that we might be with him forever in heaven. And so if no one comes to your help, resolve to go and help. To find your help in Christ. Sent for you. And even as the beloved hymn says, when other helpers fail and comforts flee, help of the helpless, oh, abide with me. Lord, we thank you that you are the help of the helpless. Thank you, Lord, that you are our refuge and strength, a very present help in time of trouble. And Lord, by your grace, for your glory, may we be the help our family in Christ needs as we willingly sacrifice, as we suffer together, all in Christ's name. Let me pray for your glory. Amen.